want to turn in your Bibles with me. <laughs> Second Timothy chapter three, beginning at uh, verse seven, will be my text this morning. I, I didn't tell the technology people this this um, scripture, but you can mark it. Um, what I would love for you to do during this series is to read Second Timothy chapter three. Really, just read chapters three and four, and just um, ask yourself some questions. Are we in these times? Are we living in these times that Paul is writing to Timothy about? Are we seeing these characteristics? But there's also a component to that as I was reading in that chapter again last night or those chapters. There's a component to that as well of living the good life and fighting the good fight. And Paul was talking about he was ready to be offered as a drink offering to the Lord. He was finishing his course. This was the ending of Paul's life. He was writing this from, from prison. Ultimately, he was gonna be beheaded for the cause of Christ. And so we can see in, in chapters three and four, not just a description of the world in which we live, most likely, but we see some inspiration of how we can hold true and what we can do for Christ. I wanted to share just this one scripture before I got into the PowerPoint this morning, but 2 Timothy 3, 7, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Does that describe our world today? We have more information, we have more knowledge, we have more access to knowledge and information than we have ever had in history Technology doubles and triples and quadruples. It seems every year new technology comes out. Old technology becomes obsolete. We have access to, to anything and everything. Anything you want to learn, we could learn it. I could get my phone right now and learn anything I wanted to learn. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. How is it as a society, how is it as the United States of America even, how is it, even in Albemarle and Green counties, how is it that we can have access to so much learning and so much knowledge, but yet in so many ways we have forsaken the basics of life. We have drifted away from the basics of life, the basics of scripture of what God's word said. So I asked this question, and there's a, a slide for this in the timeline. How did we get here? How did we get here? Now, I know that's kind of a double-edged question because first, how did we get here? We're talking about creation. We're talking about life in this first part of this series. So certainly, how did we get here? But how did we get here into a world that we see where good is called evil and evil is called good? How did we get to this point? We talked about some of that timeline last week, the erosion of the belief in creation the compromise in the belief of creation. And then we've seen in today's sermon is more along the lines now of human life and the value of human life. But once God was taken out of the picture, then human life began to be devalued. Once God and his purposes are gone, then human life lacks purpose, lacks value, lacks meaning. And so there became an undermining of human life at the beginnings of life and even at the endings of life. And if life is inconvenient, then just eliminate life. But then we've seen a progression in, in recent decades, probably for the last 40 or 50 years even, in marriage and family. 
And today we have arrived at a point where even our very beings, our very literal bodies and those of our children are being attacked as people now even question basic simple biology, male and female. And God help us, how did we get here? I look at the timeline and I think as I'm, as I'm talking this morning, what could be the next progression on that timeline? I would have never imagined that I would be needing to stand in a pulpit and preach a sermon series for several weeks to try to show us biblically male and female. Basic biology proves that someone is born a male, someone is born a female. Where does this end? What damage does this do? And are we in the last days? Are we headed to a place where this world just can't go much further into depravity until God says it's enough and I need to send my son to rapture my church and begin the end days? So where are we? How did we get here? Creation is a theological issue. I said it last week and I wanted to reiterate it this morning. Creation is a theological issue. Creation has nothing to do with science. There is nothing scientific about creation. God spoke the world into existence. In science, you have to observe something. No one observed creation and no one can observe creation. In science, you have to test out theories and, and prove things. There is no possible way to test out creation and prove it. Creation is a theological concept. God created the heavens and the earth. Can I get an amen this morning? And creation must be accepted by faith. We read that scripture in Hebrews last week. We must accept creation by faith. But then we do see that the entirety of the Holy Scriptures prove creation. I read to you many, many scriptures last Sunday morning, and none of them were out of the book of Genesis, but all of them spoke to a sovereign God who created the heavens and the earth. A sovereign God who, throughout all of Holy Scripture, we see his hand of creation. From Old Testament writers to New Testament writers. And it is all in harmony together. When we undermine creation, we start to erode and undermine the entirety of the scriptures. What are you preaching, Pastor Greg? Just in case you're wondering, if I haven't been clear enough last week, I am preaching a literal, literal six-day Creation. It is the only way we can accept it by faith and really see it in Scripture and really see it as it aligns all throughout the entirety of Scripture. I know there are some theologians, I know there are some in our movement who will say that God used evolution or he used certain components of evolution to create. That's because they have gone down a rabbit trail of study in science trying to prove creation. They have left the Holy Scriptures. When we study the Holy Scriptures, we see that God literally created from the word of his mouth, mankind, this whole world, everything we see. If you believe that, say amen this morning. Why is that so important? It wasn't as important to me, honestly, until I started getting into this sermon series. Now, it's not a salvation issue. I get that. 
But it is important because we must believe the scriptures in their entirety. Because if there is doubt in one place, there will be doubt in another place. As I said last week, if we don't believe that God literally created the world and that Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4 are literal, he's giving an historic account. When do we jump in? When do we start jumping into the scriptures? The whole book of Genesis is a history book. Is the story of Joseph symbolic? Is the story of Joseph's family symbolic when you read all of that in Genesis? No. And neither is the first two, one, two, three, four chapters of Genesis. Look with me, please, to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. There is God's creation of us. There is God's mandate to us. I put in bold several key words there. He blessed us. But he also commanded us to be fruitful, to multiply. He also gave us authority and, and responsibility and dominion over the creation For those to say that the creation, being the creation of plants, the creation of animals, the creation is equal to mankind, is contrary to God's word. God created mankind. We are the pinnacle of his creation. We are to subdue and have dominion over the creation. I am not an animal. I said that last week. I may act like an animal sometimes, but I am not an animal. I'm not a mammal. I know they classify humans as mammal. I have been created in the likeness and image of God. And it's my responsibility and your responsibility for us to have dominion over this creation and to take care of this creation. Look at the next slide with me. And let's talk about us as being created in God's image. And I thought about it as what I would talk about in a continuum. You you know a continuum. You have a point over here and an arc, and a point over here. And on one end of this continuum, I thought of the word humility. And on another end of the continuum, I thought of the word honor. God used the dust of the ground to form us in his image. If there's ever times that we become prideful, or boastful, or we think too highly of ourselves than we ought to think, we should remind ourselves that God made us from dust. There should be some humility about us, as we used to say back in Abs Valley, if we become too big for our britches. (laughs) We should have some humility. We were created in dust. Dust I was formed and dust I shall return. But least I would get too down on myself. There's a problem too if we become too down on ourselves and we think that we're too low or we're not good enough or we can never do what God wants us to do or we can never achieve anything. We should come over here on this end of the continuum and remember that yes, we were made in the dust 
of the ground, but also we were formed in his image and in his likeness. So I have humility, but also I have honor. I have the honor to know that I was formed and fashioned. You were formed and fashioned in the image and likeness of God. We have value to him. We are important to him. He created us to have relationship with him. So thus I have humility, but I also have honor. Those times of self-doubt and lack of assurance, I remember that God made me in his image and God can help me to achieve and to grow like he wants me to. Look at Genesis 2 and 7, please. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Here's the key component to creation for you and I as humans. He formed man from the dust of the ground. Then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. You see, this dust of the ground that we live in is temporary. As much as we try to take care of this tabernacle, this earthly body, this shell, eventually it will go back to the ground. Eventually it will decay. It will corrupt. And we might think, well, what's the use then? Why even try? The good news is on the inside of us is a living soul. I have a living soul. You have a living soul soul on the inside of you. And I'm reminded of the scriptures in Corinthians that many times we use at funeral services and in funeral passages, and we talk about that we were sown in what? Weakness, but raised. One day we will be what? Raised in power. You say, what's the use, pastor? What's the use of living? What's the use of trying? Because one day that living soul will be raised in power and be given a new body that will be totally eternal. But until then, we take care of what God has given us. Amen. And the breath of life was breathed into us, giving us that living soul. And that living soul is eternal. It is eternal. I have an eternal element to me. You say, oh no, you're going to be around forever. Yeah, I'm afraid to tell you I'm going to be around forever. You're going to be around forever. We have an eternal element because God's living breath is in us and that soul will never, ever die. And the good news for that, for those who know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, the good news is that we will live forever in his presence. And this life is not all that there is. This life is not just live, live in the moment, live it up, do whatever I want to do because tomorrow I'm going to die. No, this life is just a dress rehearsal for eternity that as a Christian I'm going to spend with him. When we think of those things, it gives us meaning and purpose and passion. But it also should give us some motivation we should also think about that, okay, if I'm going to live forever, there's an eternal element to me, this living soul, where am I going to spend eternity? Can I ask you a personal question this morning? Where are you going to spend eternity? That's the question that each one of us have to ask as individuals. For those who reject Christ and his gift of salvation, that eternal destiny is an eternal punishment in a place called hell. 
a literal burning hell. A separation from God, that would be hell enough in itself. A, a separation from all of our loved ones, that would be hell enough itself. But a literal burning eternal destination called hell that Jesus talked about more than anybody. Where am I going to spend eternity? But if we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, and we believe upon the name of the Lord, and we allow him to save us, we can live forever in a place called heaven. Anybody going to heaven this morning? I'm going to heaven. I'm ready to go to heaven. So there's more than this life. There's an eternal destination. We live this life with eternity in mind. We live this life preparing for the next where we will spend eternity with him. So that leads me to this thought. As we live, we need to be responsible. We need to remind ourselves that we're accountable. You see, the reason that many people want to undermine creation and even undermine the value of life is because there are many people who don't really want to be responsible to anyone. They don't want to be held accountable to anyone. And so when you take away creation and you take God out of the picture, or even if you just minimize God to just some guiding force, but minimize who he really is, then it takes away the accountability. But you and I are going to give an account for how we live, every single one of us. You may remember last week I read one of the little parts of the passage out of 2 Timothy that I'm hoping you'll read, and, and it said, Christ who will come and he will judge the living and the dead. There's this judgment that will come. And so we are responsible for how we live. We are accountable for how we live. We are responsible to God. We are responsible to each other. We are responsible to our families, our spouses, our church families, the people who live around us. We bear a responsibility and an accountability. That responsibility is not just spiritual, but it's practical too, isn't it? We need to be diligent to take care of the practical things that are required of us as well as the spiritual things that are required of us. We are accountable to God. You see the point there. God commanded us to have dominion and to be fruitful. Our responsibility is to steward this creation that he has given us, have dominion over it, have dominion over our lives and families, but also to be fruitful. You may remember, what, two, three, four weeks ago now, one of the sermons was about bearing much fruit, and it was from uh, the Gospel of John. Our responsibility is to be fruitful in this life so that we'll have a lot to show for it in the next. So I, I, I come to this question then as we start to wrap this up this morning. What's your value? What's your value? In light of Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and those chapters there in Genesis and seeing God who created us in his likeness and image, God who breathed his very breath of life into us, what is our value? How do we measure our value? How do we measure the value of a human life? Think about that. What's, when I looked up that word value, it's importance and worth and usefulness. And I want to tell everybody in this room this morning that you have importance. You are important to God. You are important to others. I want to tell everybody in this room that you have worth. 
The enemy is telling our young people especially that they have no worth to them. They are not useful. But we have value. We are useful. Life is important. Life is valuable. My response to all of this should be I will value my life and I will value all human life. All human life from the moment of conception to the moment of the grave. Say that again, from the moment of conception, right, to the moment of the grave. I will value human life. You see, when God looks at life, he sees value. He sees a preciousness, if I could use a term that was, was used when he said, I, precious in my sight is the death of one of my saints, when that life leaves here and comes back to me. But I propose I could take that word preciousness and value and extend it all through all phases of life. The moment a baby is conceived, the mom and the dad don't really typically realize that, do they? They might guess, they might think, but God knows the very instant of conception. And he sees that as a precious, valuable time. From the moment when that little baby comes into the world, I have a lot of experience with this, three times. They pulled that baby out, and the first time, I will tell you, was quite shocking. Babies, before they're cleaned up, don't look exactly the way they look in the nursery. So, Emily, I'm sorry, but the first time I saw you, I was a little stunned. I was whoa. And then they say, do you want to cut the umbilical cord, umbilical cord, umbiblical cord, just leave it alone, right? (laughs) That cord that connects the child to the mother (laughs) and brings the nutrients in, (laughs) cut that. So every time that baby was born, all three of ours, they gave me those scissors and cut that cord. They didn't take anything off my bill. I finished the surgery. I should have gotten deduction, did their work for them. But God saw those moments as precious. You have your own memories. You have your own stories. You have your own thoughts, right? But when those children were born, God looked and he saw how precious and how valuable that was. The first time the diaper was changed and the first steps that a child took and the first day of kindergarten, Emily's first day of kindergarten, I followed her around with a video camera. Aaliyah's first day of kindergarten, it's like, all right, we'll see you when you get home. (laughs) She's the third child. But God sees every stage of our lives as precious and valuable. And even when the child grows up into those oh-so-wonderful teenage years, that's still a valuable, precious time. And then when a man and a woman come and join together and marry and begin to start their own family, God sees those times and they're valuable and they're precious and they're wonderful. And then the cycle starts all over again because what? First comes love, then comes marriage, and then comes Susie with a baby carriage. And God sees those times as precious and loving and valuable. Those times when of life that some of you have experienced and I will experience at some point when we're called empty nesters and all the little birds have flown the coop and we're just back, the two of us. But God sees those times in our lives as valuable and precious and you're useful to him and he loves you even then. 
And oh yes, even in those times when old age starts to come on and don't see as well as I used to see and can't read as much as I used to read because my eyes are a little dimmer and my feet, my footsteps are a little slower and, I, and I'm tempted to think, God, why am I still here? But I want to tell you, if you find yourself in that season of life, towards the ending of your life, finish well. It is valuable to God. You are worth something and useful to him. Is that all right this morning? God sees value in human life from the moment of conception until that last breath has been breathed. What is your value? I can't tell you your value. I can't express to you your value. I can't write it all down, how valuable you are. I can't articulate it. I couldn't even try. But God loves you. God values you. And God created you in his likeness and in his image. And he breathed the breath of life into you. So lift your head up high and feel good about it. Would you stand with me this morning? Thank God for his loving creation of us. Thank God for his loving care towards us. Would you bow your head and let's just pray this morning that God would renew a mind towards life and the value thereof in our hearts and lives. Lord, we thank you this morning. God, we thank you that you are the creator of all things. You are so powerful that just by your spoken word, Mountains were formed and seas were filled with water and land and plants and animals and everything that we see by the power of your word, it was created. But even greater than that, Lord, we know that one day you chose to create man and woman as the pinnacle of your creation. And you took the dust of the ground, you formed man and you breathe your powerful breath of life and now we have an eternal soul and one day we're going to live somewhere and I pray this morning that each one of us would make certain that we are right with you that we have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior and that we're up to date in our walk with you and our relationship with you and Lord remind us in every season of our life the good times and the bad times, the ups and the downs. And even when old age is stealing on and we we feel like we just can't do what we used to do, remind us of our value. Remind us of our usefulness, of our purpose. And God, help us to value life. Let us value life from the moment of conception, even until the last breath is drawn on this side of